In this fifth episode of the Wealth Creation Podcast series, I'm joined by Ronell Hutchinson and Rick Cardo. Both of them are portfolio managers from Investec Wealth and Investment. And Rick joins us all the way from Investec Wealth and Investment's UK office out in cold London. Now, there's no better pair suited for today's conversation to answer the question of why you should invest offshore. You'll recall in the third episode, we introduced some themes around global investing and the impact that the global economy has on your investments. And in this episode, Rick and Ronell will expand on this and take us through why, how, and what you want to invest in offshore. We look at why you should invest offshore, the mechanics and accessibility of these offshore markets, and what investment options are available for you to consider. But before we get into it, uh, let me first introduce uh, Rick and Ronell. I'll start with Ronell, portfolio manager at Investec for 14 years now having started there as a fund analyst and a CFA charter holder, uh, holding an economics degree, but also a red devil and Amakosi for life. Uh, and uh, just like me, I guess uh, a big chief supporter. Uh, and I certainly hope, uh, Ronald, that uh, you've accustomed yourself to disappointment. Uh, that being said, let me also introduce Rick, uh, who's an admitted attorney of the High Court of South Africa and a chartered financial uh, analyst holder. Uh, and uh, somebody who had some grounding in law, which has uh, certainly helped him uh, with uh, research, analysis, reasoning, rationalizing, and of course, writing as well, but also acting in the fiduciary uh, interests of many of his clients. Uh, he's competitive by nature. He works smart and uh, he engages uh, many of uh, his colleagues at Investec uh, on his uh, constant learning curve, as he says, and a uh, big passion for the stock market reading business books and trying to discover investment opportunities. Now, Renel, I'm going to start off with you and uh, I guess pose the same question to Rick as well. What are the reasons for why somebody would even want to consider investing offshore? I mean, do we not have in our investable universe here in South Africa, you know, enough assets that one could be putting their money behind? Uh, or I guess it's just a matter of returns. Thanks for the introduction, Ayabonga. I think the fate of football teams is as treacherous as the fate of fund managers. I think the first point to consider, Ayabonga, is you know why South African investors want to go offshore. And one of the fundamental reasons for going offshore is to diversify their portfolio from SA-specific risks. So the key element from a South African perspective is the diversification. And if you also take into account the level of volatility that South African investors are exposed to with respect to the RAND, by going offshore, by accessing foreign currencies, hard currency assets, SA investors can mitigate SA-specific risks, mitigate the currency risks, and diversify the exposure um, offshore. Thanks for that, Ronald. Uh, because I guess, in a sense, uh, it does suggest to us that we ideally don't want to put all of our eggs in one South African basket. Um, and I, I'm interested, Rick, I guess, in the context of many of these large uh, South African firms who might have operations in other markets as well, whether or not they contribute to the local opportunity set uh, in any meaningful way that gives us the same diversification. Um, and why, I guess, we would still want beyond those to still go offshore uh, and invest there and uh, some of the industries that we might want to consider investing in and even the sectors 
uh, that might be an attractive investment proposition offshore. Thanks, Ayabonga. Well, firstly, you know, it's great to be here and thanks for the opportunity to chat to you and your audience. Um, this is really an important topic, I believe. It should form a key part of anyone's investment strategy. Um, so, so it's kind of key in what we do. I think just to hone in on some of those benefits and opportunities that you allude to, um, you know, from our perspective, going offshore provides an investor with a far greater investment growth opportunity set than only being in South Africa. Uh, it effectively allows you to grow your wealth in a way which isn't just limited to the SA economy. So Renal quite rightly spoke about some of the risks, the political risks, the currency risks of being only invested in South Africa. But, you know, I kind of look at it as the opportunity set for growth by going offshore. So, you know, let me just put some of that in perspective. Um, you know, if you just look at our economy in South Africa, it makes up less than half a percent of the world's global economic growth. So, so we're a kind of a tiny dot in the ocean. Um, you know, the South African economy over the last 10 years has probably grown at less than 2% per annum, whereas, you know, offshore, the global economy has grown at about double that rate and with more predictability. So, so better growth with less volatility and more predictability. And then just, you know, honing in perhaps on, on your question, we do have some global champions listed on our stock market, but there are less than 400 companies on the South African stock market. Overseas, we've got 45,000 to choose from. So you're spoiled for choice. Um, and if you look at some of the big companies, I mean, I'll just look at the biggest company in the world, Apple. Apple's market cap or value is around about $2.5 trillion. That's almost double the size of each and every company put together on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. So, you know, when you start looking at some of the facts and figures, you kind of get a, get a sense of the, of the opportunity that allows you offshore. Um, you know, just, it's just honing in again to perhaps the South African market. We've got one big technology company, uh, which is effectively NASPA's process, uh, with its main asset being a, a kind of a Chinese internet platform company, Tencent. Um, again, you know, if we go offshore, you spoil for choice. You've got the Apples, the Alphabets, the Googles, the Amazons of the world. All those stocks have market caps or values in excess of a trillion dollars. Um, and even if you get a world champion company, a stock like Richemont, which, you know, for those that are brand aware, you'll know by their brands, Mont Blanc, uh, IWC, Cartier, etc. Um, again, you just have that much more choice if you go global. So, you know, what do I mean by that? You've got companies like Louis Vuitton, Moe Hennessy, iconic brands like Louis Vuitton, Dior, Tag. Um, you've got Kering, which is Gucci, a, a very popular brand amongst the millennials, Yves Saint Laurent. And, you know, it doesn't stop there. You've got Hermes, Burberry, Montclair, Hugo Boss, the list goes on and on. So I think it's just that wider opportunity set and being exposed to parts of the market that you really don't have that much exposure to in South Africa. And, and I guess Rick, the other question is, how do we, how would one go about accessing some of this diversification benefit? I mean, and also I would argue, I guess, the scale benefits. I mean, if you're talking about the type of, you know, uh, market capitalizations that you've made mention of, uh, it certainly does, you know, this notion of a wider opportunity set that is growing, that is predictable, that is stable. Uh, it does have that benefit in any diversified portfolio. Um, what are some of the mechanics that allow, I guess, some of these offshore um, investable opportunities to be accessible to the South African investor? Yeah, that's a great question, uh, Ayabonga. I mean, uh, you know, you, could, you can start simply by perhaps 
focusing on the stocks listed on the JSC that, that are mainly exposed to global markets. And I've mentioned a couple of them earlier on. I mean, there are, there are others, British American Tobacco and the tobacco space, uh, Bidcorp, which is a food services company globally. Um, there are quite a few. Um, but again, that's quite a limited opportunity set. So, you know, as a South African, there are kind of two direct ways or methods of how do you take money offshore and convert your rands into hard currency. Uh, the one is using what's called your single discretionary allowance. It used to be called the travel allowance. And basically, every adult person over the age of 18 in South Africa can take up to 1 million rand uh, overseas each year. And you can kind of do with it what you want. You can invest it. You can spend it. Um, but, but that gives you quite a bit of leeway to, to kind of get started and invest in the market. Um, and we can help help you with that investor wealth and investment, utilizing that allowance and, and you know putting you into the right investment depending on your your particular requirements. Um, you don't need any approvals from any regulatory authority. You get that one million rand a year. Just be aware that you know if you go traveling overseas and you're spending money on your credit card, that kind of gets deducted from that one million rand amount. Um, there is another way, it's called your uh, foreign investment allowance. Uh, for that, you need to be a registered taxpayer, have all your tax affairs in order, and you can apply to uh, SARS to get what's called a tax clearance certificate. Uh, that runs for a period of 12 months, and that'll actually allow you, subject to you actually having you know, the money to back it up and the assets to take up to 10 million rand a year uh, offshore and, and effectively convert your rands into hard currency. And again, you can invest it pretty much in whatever you like, and you can keep the money offshore. It never has to come back into RAND. So, so those are kind of, you know, two of the direct ways. There are other ways, and, and Ron, maybe you want to allude to a couple of those. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Rick. Ayabonga, yes, there are a lot more accessible ways for investors to invest offshore. I think for the investor at the early stage of their wealth creation journey, one must consider the options of unit trusts, for example. So there are accessible options for investors, you know, uh, younger professionals at the early stages of their wealth creation. And I think if you look at Investec, there are options available via the My Investments platform, which is our digital online platform that allows young professionals to access our full suite of local and global products. So I think the world has changed. We recognize that we have to provide access. We have to make saving and investing more accessible to all types of all ranges of people at various stages in their life cycle. And I think the investment community has gone a long way to bridge that gap. Uh, by these unit trust solutions and also nowadays the availability of ETFs. I like that comment because in a, in a way, you know, uh, the earlier comment that Rick was making suggests that there's certain regulatory, um, I guess, issues that one might need to navigate if you're going above the 10 million investment uh, directly offshore. Uh, but through some of these, I guess, delegated uh, instruments, uh, you have the possibility and the opportunity to be able, even you know, with a, a debit order of a thousand rand a month, to invest offshore and get the benefits of diversification or geographic diversification into your portfolio at a very early stage. Now, Ronel, here's my other question. 
I'm interested because we've spoken quite a bit about equities uh, and uh, I found, I guess, you know, the contribution Rick was making earlier on around some of the big champions in South Africa very, very interesting because it's brands we interact with every single day. So, so, so it's quite interesting to explore that. Um, outside of equities, um, I mean, should South African investors, I guess, be considering other uh, asset classes, you know, fixed income, property? Uh, we certainly see all manner of adverts out there speaking about property investments, even as an avenue to access citizenship. So it seems that there's quite a diverse asset class set. Talk to us about that. Yes, there are a range of investment opportunities for investors uh, when they go offshore. As said, there is property. Property is an opportunity. And I guess, you know, during COVID and the impact to the real estate market for for COVID, both locally and offshore, obviously with changes to to how we live, how we work, etc. There are implications for both residential and commercial property. So we ask there are opportunities to invest in property offshore. Um, there's a range of, of investment opportunities. I think the key thing for an investor to consider when they go offshore is what are their objectives? And the reason why I say that is because if you're in an early stage of your life cycle in terms of investing, um, you want to have maximum risk exposure. You want your assets to grow um, at a maximum rate. And if you look at historically, equities generally tends to be your highest returning asset class. And what we find when we go into other classes like a fixed income, etc., is that we use that to mitigate the level of volatility that comes with, with equity risk. So the key thing when you're going offshore is what is your level of risk you're willing to take. Um, if you're more of a moderate risk investor, then you want to have a more diversified portfolio to mitigate some of that equity risk. But today there is a whole host of options. But I think the key thing to consider is what is the attractiveness of these asset classes? Because investors want to maximize their return while obviously managing the risk that comes that comes with these asset classes as well. I think Renal's again, pretty spot on. You, you've got a plethora of choice across asset classes overseas. I mean, you know, if I look at our, our real investment uh, trust, property trust market in South Africa, again, it's pretty tiny in a global context. It's less than 1%. So, you know, you do have property opportunities overseas. Uh, the corporate bonds, if you look at another asset class that you, you, you know, is really a tiny market in South Africa. I mean, South African government bonds are currently sub-investment grade. So, in fact, we don't have an investment grade uh, kind of corporate bond uh, market in South Africa. And that's a $50 trillion industry globally. So, you're not going to get exposure to it in South Africa. You've got to go offshore. Um, so, absolutely, really dependent on your kind of risk and return objectives, you know, whether your goal is, is kind of for growth or capital stability, you know, there's a plethora of choice out there. When we talk offshore, and I guess we've been speaking about it in very broad terms, uh, an investment in Kazakhstan is a bit different to an investment, you know, in Canada uh, or even in the, you know, financial center of the world in the United Kingdom. I'm quite interested in, I guess, how much exchange rate risk might influence uh, the type of returns that one wants. So, so if you're going in, you know, to invest in, in an asset class that's attractive today, um, how much, I guess, by way of exchange rate risk do you have to shoulder 
for whatever returns you might want sort of year three from now? Principally, you know, when we go offshore, you're kind of looking to ex be exposed to, I guess, asset classes and, and underlying investments that have that low correlation with, with your South African assets. I mean, I think over time it's been proven that the RAND will weaken or depreciate against most hard currencies. Um, you know, if we, if we go back to our economic textbooks in university, we, we were taught that, uh, you know, basically the RAND should depreciate by the inflation differentials between South Africa and its main trading partners. Now, that's probably going to be about 4 to 5% per annum over the long term. So it's kind of a given that the RAND should weaken over time. Uh, and possibly you add on some sort of, you know, emerging market risk premium to that. So, you know, the RAND's a very volatile currency. I mean, it, it, it's a big trader. Uh, it trades very liquid. Um, there are a lot of investors that, that get into and out of the RAND. So over the short term, it can be pretty volatile. But, you know, I would argue that, you know, if you're investing offshore, don't try and time the currency. The RAND is likely to weaken over the long term. And, um, you know, that should add to, to your investment return. But ultimately, you're going offshore to get some hard currency growth. You know, any RAND weakness is, is kind of a, a plus on top of that. I just want to bring in a relevant, real-life example of what happened during the, the COVID crisis. I mean, going into to COVID, the RAND spiked from 14 RAND to the dollar to 19 RAND to the dollar. So... The volatility of the local currency is significant, particularly around these crisis dynamics. And none of us can predict when these crises will happen. As Rick points out, given you know the inflation differentials between South Africa and foreign countries, you're going to have steadily depreciation, but you are going to have these shock events and hence diversifying the portfolio and mitigating against this significant drawdown risk uh, that SA investors are exposed to at crisis events. Um, it's just a, a prudent approach. You can never time it. So just diversification shields investors from these crisis events. So it's just just to give you an a real life illustration of what actually happened. So, um, you know, so volatility is a day to day uh, ex reality in, in, in local and global markets. I mean, the other thing, if I can just add, there's also probably key to note that we mainly in South Africa, commodity based economy. So, you know, if you look at our exports, a large chunk of them still come from, you know, our commodities. And we all know that commodity economies tend to grow and outperform in specific types, uh, sort of cycles or time periods, but they can also underperform pretty spectacularly in others. So, you know, by virtue of us being mainly a commodity based kind of economy and, and hence, a, I guess, a currency in the RAND that is dictated to by, you know, what's happening in commodity markets, that's going to lend itself to a lot of volatility, um, certainly in the short term. And I guess that's what you guys mean when you speak about a RAND hedge, uh, because even the strength, the relative strength of the RAND at the moment has a lot to do with, uh, I guess, a uh, strong price of the uh, minerals export basket that's coming out of South Africa at the moment. Um, um, what implication, I guess, does that have? Because um, as you're suggesting that offshore, you're going offshore to diversify your risk, but you also, in instances where the RAND is weak, uh, are benefiting from that diversification because I guess the relative potential return of what you might be getting might be a lot better in South African RAND, which is, I assume, the currency you're going to spend the money in. 
Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, if you plot kind of the Rand dollar against a, a basket of commodity prices, you tend to see a pretty strong correlation. So that kind of attests to that, that point I was making about the Rand being largely dictated to by, by commodity prices and the fact that we're kind of a commodity-based economy. Um, you know, I think we're all kind of aware of some of the structural impediments to the South African economy, you know, electricity constraints, unfortunately, that, that are kind of ongoing at the moment. Uh, you know, the state of kind of some of the the debt that we see at state-owned enterprises. And although there are like lots of measures, I think, and the progress is pretty good in, in the main, you know, those are structural imbalances in our economy that might keep the RAND on the back foot, uh, you know, for a period of time, unless they, you know, really are sorted out. So, um, you know, I think when we go offshore, typically we probably don't want to replicate the exposure that you can get in South Africa. So, you know, I'm not going to go and certainly in my perspective, if I'm managing an offshore equity portfolio, going to wholesale populate it with a whole lot of mining stocks. I can get that in South Africa. But again, I'm not going to be too short-sighted. You know, as an investor, you want to go where there's opportunity. So, you know, I'm not going to cut off my nose to spike my face. If I think the opportunity is in mining stocks and that they're good mining companies overseas, absolutely, I'll look at those. Ronel, we're speaking earlier on about uh, the accessibility of uh, some of the instruments that are available for an investor. I'm quite interested in the other asset classes, um, you know, Investex Wealth and Investments uh, offering. Uh, when it comes to accessing, I guess, through some of these instruments, uh, offshore markets and uh, offshore investment opportunities, um, what normally do you, I guess, place uh, on offer uh, for many of the investors that are looking for some of this geographic diversification? Good, good question, Ayabonga. Rick runs a portfolio known as the Investec Wealth and Investment BCI Global Leaders Equity Fund. It is a 100% equity exposure. We offer a RAND-denominated unit trust, which feeds into this dollar-based uh, global leaders portfolio. And, and Rick can talk to that portfolio specifically. So the Global Leaders Portfolio is a RAND denominated unit trust vehicle that will give you exposure to global equities. It's a 100% equity exposure. So for investors with a higher risk appetite who want to maximize their returns, it's a great strategy. If you look at some of the other products that we offer, I run a multi-manager strategy locally. It allows investors up to a maximum 30% global exposure. So you get a combination of both local and global assets. This is also accessible. It's a unit trust. So it's known as the Investec Wealth and Investment BCI Balanced Fund of Funds. So it gives investors the best of both worlds. And the other benefit is that, you know, not all of us have time to spend, you know, studying markets, researching markets. So with these investment vehicles, you've got um, an option which is actively managed by portfolio managers who do this for a living, um, who have the experience, who have the skill, who have the, the team and the research and the resources to manage the portfolio actively uh, for those investors who obviously are more focused on their career ambitions, etc. You can invest um, 
in these portfolios and have the peace of mind that you know you've got the expertise that are going to navigate the volatility of market conditions in your best interests. Yeah, well said, Ron. I mean, I think it's also probably fair to note, Ayabongo, that we do have some dollar funds, which aren't just equity. They're multi-asset class. So absolutely, they're going to tap into fixed income, you know, some of those corporate bonds, property, you know, industrial properties, residential, maybe, uh, certainly commercial uh, properties. And, and there might be some alternative asset classes. So it's not just the traditional asset classes, you know, equities, bonds, property, cash. It's the non-traditional, so there could be some hedge funds uh, and some alternative type investments. So we do offer those. Um, one quite interesting proposition that uh, you know is available to investors, and it's kind of topical given that we've got uh, the UN Climate Change Conference on COP26 about a kickoff in Glasgow, is that uh, you know we launched late last year. A colleague of mine in Cape Town is running it uh, together with a colleague in our London office, the Investec. Global Sustainable Equity Fund. You know, it, it is equity, but it's kind of absolutely at the forefront of kind of the transition away from dirty energy to clean and green uh, renewables. It taps into the whole kind of decarbonization theme, and you know, there's some really interesting companies that are going. You're going to find in that uh, that fund that you know tap into wind. You know, there's a there's a, a a Danish wind turbine manufacturer and seller, for example, Vestas Wind that's in there. Uh, they're going to be players on solar and hydrogen, etc. So again, getting back to what we spoke about perhaps right in the beginning, some investment themes where, you know, it's a pretty tiny market in South Africa, but if you go offshore, you know, the world's your oyster. Interesting fun fact, Vestas runs uh, a very interesting wind farm, not too far uh, from uh, Port Alfred in the Eastern Cape. So uh, yeah, offshore diversification, but uh, they certainly do have some operations in South Africa. So a bit of a yeah, a bit of uh, interesting trivia there at the end. Rick and Ronald, we're going to have to leave it here. And a real pleasure to have had the opportunity to chat to the pair of you. Uh, thanks to both of you for sharing your insights with us uh, in today's conversation. And uh, if you missed any of our previous episodes, please do visit Investec Focus to access the entire series and get updates on our upcoming episodes. Till next time. The views expressed are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily represent the views of Investec Wealth and Investment and should not be taken as advice, guidance or recommendations. Investec Wealth and Investment, a division of Investec Securities Proprietary Limited, member of the JSE Equity, Equity Derivatives, Currency Derivatives, Bond Derivatives and Interest Rate Derivatives Markets, an authorized financial services provider and a registered credit provider.